Well, surprise! No one was more surprised than I was at about 8 o'clock last night when Richie said, hey, there's a little issue going on with Dave, and uh, there's really only a 5 or 10% chance that uh, we'll need you tomorrow. Need me for what, Richie? Uh, just, just preach a lesson. That, that'd be great. Sure, no problem. So lesson number one, don't make a bet with Richie. His odd setting is really terrible. <laughs> um, no, it is, it is certainly an honor for me. Richie said, you know, it's always good to have a plan B, uh, but York's in Indianapolis preaching this weekend. So, well, what about Phil? Well, we thought Phil was going to be out of town. That was plan C. Phil unexpectedly came back. So we're on plan D now with uh, Paul Trulock. So if you're visiting today, my apologies. Please come back next week where you can hear from a, uh, a professional. Um, but uh, in all seriousness, we know that God's word never returns void. Amen? So we're going to dig into God's word this morning, and we are more than ever going to trust the Holy Spirit uh, that he will uh, speak through me and that we will all have listening ears, including myself. So let's pray for that uh, for a moment, please. Heavenly Father, we do lift Amy up to you and um, her uh, illness. We ask for your healing power. Lord, we pray for Dave as he is certainly torn between being with his wife and being with uh, his church family. Pray that you would give him peace um, in knowing that uh, he is there with Amy and that uh, you, uh, this is your church and that you will, uh, uh, this is no surprise to you and uh, you will do your good work. Lord, uh, I pray that you would calm uh, all of our anxiety. Pray, Lord, that uh, that uh, you would just speak through me. Pray that all of my words would be yours. Lord, I'm available to be used by you. Pray that you would give us all, including myself, listening ears to hear what you have to uh, share with us this morning. And pray that it would be transformational. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, I have, I got three kids. Uh, one is my oldest, Rachel, is turning 24 tomorrow. Um, yeah, woohoo. So, um, but a couple months ago, she was called to jury duty and uh, to Detroit jury duty. The problem is she lives in Grand Rapids. And she graduated from Grand Valley a couple years ago, but she's never changed the address on her license, which we have now learned. That's how they find out where you're at. So just there's lesson number two. Um, so uh, obviously you can understand the predicament of being two hours away. She has a full-time job. So who wouldn't try to get out of jury duty, right? And we all probably have been there. I've tried to help her in finding some uh, ways to get her out of jury duty, and uh, I Googled it uh, to see what kind of excuses people come up with. One gentleman said, my planet does not believe in the jury system. That's one uh, that I didn't pass along to her. Uh, the other, uh, a woman said, I have to report to prison next week. That probably gets you out of jury duty, if true. Uh, and my favorite one was, uh, in one case, an attorney asked a woman if she had ever had experience with an attorney, and she answered, yeah, you picked me up in a bar last week. Oops. I, I did not pass that one on to my daughter. So, it's one thing to be called by a judge and to do our civic duty and to serve 
on a jury. And uh, it may be okay to try to come up with an excuse and try to get out of it. The timing's always terrible. There's never a good time to do it. It's very unexpected. You don't know how long you're going to be tied up doing uh, your, your service. But it's quite another thing when God has called us to do something. And typically, the timing's never good, <laughs> right? He doesn't give us the full picture. He just asks us to take one step of faith. And in that moment, we can offer up a myriad of excuses as to why this is not a good idea, God. And as we turn the calendar to another year in 2020, there is no doubt that God is going to call us corporately as a family, and he's going to call you as an individual and me as an individual to do things for him. The Bible tells us that God created us for good works that he has planned for us. And it is more than our duty, it should be our joy to serve in that capacity. But we oftentimes come up with excuses. Turn to Exodus 3. Exodus 3. I hope you have your Bibles with you, either your phone or old school word. If you don't, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. And we're going to look at some common excuses and God's response to those excuses. We're at a point at, in Exodus 3 where Moses has been in the desert for 40 years. He's 80 years old. God put a call on his life 40 years earlier that he would uh, rescue the uh, Israelites from the Egyptian slavery that they were under, but he was impatient, and he took matters into his own hands to the point of committing murder, and he flees from Pharaoh and from the Egyptians to an out-of-the-way place in the middle of nowhere, and he is tending his father-in-law's sheep in the desert, and he's been doing this for 40 years. He believes that he is of no use to God. He has sinned greatly, and there's no way that God can use an 80-year-old man who has broken what will become one of the Ten Commandments and use him in his service. So let's try to put ourselves in the moment. When we think of Moses, we oftentimes think of the incredible power that God displayed through him, through the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. This is not that Moses yet. This is a Moses who is fearful, who doesn't really know God intimately, and who has run away from his call. And in uh, verse 10, well, let me back up. Let's go to verse 7. We see the simple call that God has put on his life, what God is asking him to do. In verse 7 it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring, about, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt." 
God has appeared to him in a burning bush. This burning bush, while not unusual in a desert land, is unusual in that the fact that it's not being consumed. Moses goes over to check it out, and God gives, God informs Moses, one, I've seen what's going on. I'm an active God. I'm involved. And number two, I'm sending you a simple message of go. He doesn't give him the whole picture. He gives him one simple command to follow. Moses gets his second chance, but look at how his focus is on himself in verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? This may sound like a humble, polite response, but in light of their conversation and the gravity of what God is asking him to do, he was clearly focused on himself and his own abilities. But in verse 12, God says, I will be with you. That's all you need to know, Moses. I will be with you. Now go. Have you ever been there? Has God ever asked you to do something and you said, hey, that's a little bit out of my wheelhouse. That's not really what I'm good at, God. And God oftentimes simply responds and says, I'll be with you. Don't worry about it. It's about me. It's not about you. I feel a little bit like that this morning. Chelsea was so sweet. She came up to me before and she said, just remember, God doesn't need you. Humbling and theologically sound. I like that. Thank you. (laughs) It's perfect. But maybe God has asked you to share the gospel with someone. Maybe he's asked you to be a part of a Bible study or maybe even to lead a Bible study. Maybe he's asked you to pray publicly. Maybe he's asked you to work in our nursery or with our students or serve as an elder. Maybe he's asking you to coach your kid's soccer team or to change careers, and he hasn't told you the whole path. He's just said, go, I'm with you. Well, we can come up with some pretty common excuses. Let's look at Moses' excuses. Excuse number one, verse 13 of chapter three. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? I work for Ford Motor Company. I have for 28 years. And I'm oftentimes placed in a position where I present information either to executives or to outside vendors. And I spend about 50% of my time uh, preparing for the presentation. And I spend another 50% of the time roughly thinking about questions that people could ask. Because no one likes being asked a question that they can't answer, right? We all want to have all of the answers. Pride can get in our way, and we don't want to look stupid. We want to have all of the answers, and that's what Moses says here. I don't have all of the answers. No one likes getting backed into a verbal corner and being embarrassed for not having an answer. But I have learned that no one has ever lost respect for a person for saying, I don't know the answer, but they certainly will lose respect when you act like you know the answer, right? I've been there, regrettably. But in verse 14, God responds, and God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is the, ter- this is the name Yahweh. This is the most 
uh, intimate name of God, so intimate that the Israelites wouldn't say it or spell it out completely. It is a name that represents him as being self-existent. God is dependent on no thing. He is dependent on no one. He is completely self-existent. He is completely in control. You don't have to have all the answers, Moses. Just point them to me. We don't have to have all of the answers when sharing the gospel with somebody. How did God get all the animals on the ark? I don't know. He's God, right? We don't have to have all of the answers. We just need to point them to God. You don't have to have them, but you have me. That's what God says to Moses. So excuse number one, I don't have all the answers. God's response, you don't need to have all the answers. You have me. That's all you need. Excuse number two. Verse 1 of chapter 4, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? A second common excuse is that we could look foolish. We could look stupid. What if they don't listen to me? What if they know about my past? These people know me. What if I get embarrassed? I'm not a Billy Graham. I'm not a charismatic speaker. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, Paul says, When I came to you, I did not come with elegance or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Sound familiar? I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. God wants the attention, not man. It's not about the man or the woman. It's about the message. I'm not, uh, uh, excuse two, I could look foolish. Well, God will work powerfully if we will simply obey him. Excuse number one, I don't have all the answers. God says you don't have to have the answers, you have me. Excuse two, I could look foolish. God says I'll work powerfully if you will simply obey me. Excuse number three, Let's go back to excuse number two for just a minute, sorry. So look, in, uh, look at verse four of chapter four. The Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it, I'm sorry, uh, verse two, God's response. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a, sn- a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak. and When he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. 
So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. God never placed so much power in the hands of one man as he did for Moses at this time. God would do many other powerful things through Moses. He simply wanted Moses to deliver his message and then get out of the way. Man, do we have a hard time getting out of the way, (laughs) right? I could look stupid. I could look foolish, we say. God will work powerfully if we will simply obey him. Excuse number three, I don't communicate well. I'm not a good speaker. How could God possibly use me? Verse 10 of chapter 4, Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I can't speak well. I'm not uh, one of these great, uh, you know, I'm not Charles Stanley. I'm not Dave Riddle. I I said that because he'll be watching sometime. I can't speak eloquently. How could you possibly use me? Look at what God says to him. I love this. Verse 11 and 12. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Again, follow the message, not the man. God puts a call on our life or asks us to do something. God, I don't have all the answers. He says, you don't have to have the answers. You have me. We say, I could look foolish. It's not in my wheelhouse. God says, I will work powerfully if you'll simply obey what I'm asking you to do. God, I'm not a good speaker. You don't need to be a good speaker. I'm going to tell you what to say. I'm going to speak through you. Just be available. And excuse number four, our last excuse Verse 13, but Moses said, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Can you just, (laughs) how many have been there? Really, me? There are so many other people that are more talented in this area than me. How could I possibly do this, God? Why don't you have so-and-so do it? Have, Have another person do this. I'm not qualified. I could never be an elder. I could never teach a Bible. I could never work with nursery age kids. I could never share the gospel with that coworker or that family member. I would never be comfortable sharing my faith. That's for an evangelist to do, not for me. However, God will always empower us to do what he asks of us. Praise God that he never gives up on us, but he will get angry at us. <laughs> Look at verse 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. God complies with Uh, Moses' request, which uh, reflects incredible grace by God. But those of you that know your Bible know that in Exodus 32, it's Aaron who eventually leads the nation of Israel to commit a great sin against God. And he fashions this golden calf 
and says, this is your God, bow down. And I always wonder in that moment when Moses came down if he regretted this final excuse. Send someone else. Don't send me. Use Aaron. He didn't need Aaron. All he needed was God. But Moses learned that one the hard way. Look at verse uh, 18. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Moses doesn't tell Jethro the whole story, does he? Hey, um, yeah, I know I've been with you for 40 years and I've been taking care of your sheep, but uh, I'm going to go back to Egypt, see what's going on. He, He shares nothing with Jacob about this encounter that he's had with God. I want to encourage all of us when we believe that we have experienced a call of God on our life, whether it be a trajectory or it be something specific that God is asking you to do, certainly you pray about that. You make sure you're clear about that, but share that with somebody else. I'm incredibly blessed to have a spouse that is willing to listen to all of the crazy ideas that I think God puts in my head. Some of those come to fruition and some of those don't as we pray about them, but never once has she ever said, you can't do that, you're not capable, are you out of your mind? She has always gracefully said, okay, all right, I'm with you, let's pray about that. And I've done the same for her, and we have, as best we can, done that for our kids. Allow our kids to dream, allow each other to dream. Yeah, it might be crazy, but how much more crazy is it than an 80-year-old man that's been 40 years in the desert doing nothing for God, apparently, right? Be an encourager. We need to be in community so that we can encourage each other when we believe we've experienced the call of God on our lives. God continues to show grace. He asks for a willing heart, he doesn't ask for perfection. He doesn't expect us to have all the answers. He doesn't expect us to have all the ability. He doesn't expect us to have all the courage. He doesn't even ask us to understand why he's called us to whatever it is that he's called us. He just asks us to be available and to take that first step of faith in the direction that he's pointed us. Let's pray. Lord, for some of us, we know that you've called us specifically to do something, and we're wrestling with you. We're fearful, we're anxious, we're worried, and we're full of self-doubt. Please continue to be patient with us, calm our fears, open our hearts to hear to hear you. Encourage us and place uh, our focus on you rather than ourselves. Lord, give us boldness. Give us courage. Some of us, Lord, haven't heard a call from you. We've been in a desert and we're not sure if you can really use someone like us. Or maybe we've been so preoccupied with life that we're just not listening. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear your call in 2020 when it comes. Give us an attitude of availability and willingness to do whatever it is that you ask of us. And Lord, some of us are right where you want us. We've heard your call. We've been obedient. We've taken the risk of what you've asked of us. 
Lord, may may we be reliant on your strength and guidance. Keep us humble, recognizing that it's your mission, it's your ministry, not ours. And Lord, you may give us great success, but I pray that we would hold that calling loosely, knowing that you may take us in a completely different direction at any time. And may we make ourselves available should you call us to something different. Lord, may we trust and rely only upon you. Thank you for allowing us to be part of your mission and for your patience with us. Thank you for being the great I am for us, the all-powerful, all-sufficient, almighty God. Amen.